John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. May God bless the reading of his word. Hello. Welcome. Happy Easter. My name is Jason, staff pastor here at Grace, and we are so glad that you've chosen to worship with us tonight. Uh, We would love to meet you and get to know you. There's a couple of ways that you can connect with us here at Grace. First off, you can stick around afterwards, as Christopher mentioned in the welcome. Uh, We would love to meet you after the service, so stick around afterwards and meet someone new. Uh, I would love to talk to you. One of our other pastors or anybody up here on stage would love to just meet you. Uh, Another way you can get connected, or if you have specific questions about how to get connected here at Grace, you can visit the black box that is right there at the back of the auditorium. And um, on that black box, there are some connect cards that you can fill out. And there's a few different options you can check on there that indicate how you'd like to get connected or what questions you have here about Grace, because we would love to meet with you and we would love to worship with you again. So you can uh, get connected here a number of different ways. Our church has been going through uh, some psalms. They are songs that were written by David and some other folks in the Old Testament. And we have been going through those as a church. We have been reading through them throughout the semester. But then we have also had a couple of sermons leading up to Easter where we have been talking about the psalms. And in the psalms, we see a number of helpful things. But the thing that we've been focusing in on is when we open up the book of Psalms, we can read things that sound very familiar. We can find people that we can relate to very easily, which is not always the case when we open a book about people that lived thousands of years ago. But when we open up the Psalms, we see people writing things and talking about feelings that we have had. And tonight we're going to start in a Psalm as well. And this Psalm is a Psalm of David. You know David, the guy who killed a giant with a stone? You may have heard the story. Uh, He also, before he killed that giant, he killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands as a child. So he is someone that had seen God do supernatural and powerful things through his little bit of faith. But when we open up our text tonight, we see that he is in a very different place. And as we see the very different place that he is in, we find a connection to it. Because the thing is that when we read this psalm, we see that David is suffering. He said his feet are slipping, that they're giving way, that what used to be steady for him is no longer steady. And the thing is that suffering is something that we can all relate to. And in fact, it's come in living color and very clear to see over the last couple of years as we've gone through this pandemic that suffering is an equal opportunity offender. It is something that all of us deal with at some level. And for the first time in my lifetime, people all over the world were suffering from something that was common to all of us. It impacted us in some ways directly or indirectly for two years over the whole world. But the fact of the matter is that the last two years have shown something that has always been the case. We just don't always see it. And that is we all will go through times of suffering. We will all go through times of personal or corporate societal suffering. 
Those times of suffering bring us to a place where we start asking very tough questions. Because the thing is that our affluence and our technology and our advancements in science, which are great, they can hold off suffering. They can kind of give us a picture that we're in control of some things and that we can control the outcomes of our life. But we've seen over the last two years that suffering can be very unexpected and it can be right around the corner. As we open up this psalm tonight, we see David in a place of suffering, and we can also see what gets him through that suffering. And ultimately, we're going to learn tonight through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we celebrate at Easter, we are going to see that when we suffer, God sees, he knows, he cares, and he can do something about our suffering. Would you pray with me as we get started? Heavenly Father, as we open up the Bible, your word, we pray that we would hear from you. I pray that you would speak to each one tonight exactly what we need to hear from your word. God, I pray that you would speak to each one, whether they are here regularly, whether this is their first time, whether they haven't been to church in a while or even never before. God, we pray that you would speak and say exactly what you want to say. God, we need to hear from you. It's been a long couple of years for all of us for various reasons, and God, we need help. So God, we reach out to you for your help tonight, and we pray that you'd speak to us. Take my humble words here and use them for something great and to be a help to each one here. In Jesus' name, amen. So open with me to Psalm 73. You'll also see some of it up here on the screen, but if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can look it up as well. Psalm 73, when we open up, we read these words from David in verses 1 through 3. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Here David is recalling that God is faithful. He has seen God be faithful in two different avenues. The first is God has been faithful to him. When David needed to protect his father's sheep from lions and bears, God gave him the superhuman strength to defeat them with his bare hands. When God's people needed a giant to be taken down, he used David and a sling and a stone to take down a great warrior. So first, David has seen God be faithful to him, but then secondly, he's also seen God be faithful to his people. He says, truly, God is good to Israel. God's people, the people that David belonged to. He had seen God be faithful to him. He had seen God be faithful to his people. But he is in a place where he says, all that is slipping. The solid ground that I thought I stood on is not so solid anymore. He's saying, God, I know that you're faithful because you've been faithful in the past, but are you going to be faithful this time? Are you going to be faithful right here, right now? Because I feel like my feet are slipping. Then in verse 3, we start to see that part of his trouble is that he is envious of others. As he looks around to others and sees their situation, he becomes envious of them. Let's take a look at what he says in verses 4 and 5 as he goes deeper into this theme. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. 
Here, David is then looking at other people and saying, I'm suffering, but these people who are not a part of Israel, these people that I would have even called my enemies, they are the ones that are being successful. They are the ones that seem like they are on solid ground. He uses this imagery of being fat and sleek. It's kind of a contradiction of terms, right? What I think of when I think of how he's saying that they're fat and sleek, I think of when we look at someone else who eats whatever they want, but they never put on a pound, right? Or for me, it's really annoying to play sports like basketball, softball, whatever sport I'm playing. And you get these people that haven't played a sport in years and they just come out there and they're already fast. They already have endurance and I'm working my butt off and I can't keep up with them. He's saying, when I look at my enemies, I see that they have it all. And it seems effortless to them. I am struggling. I can't see God's face. I'm struggling to believe that God is faithful. But look at my enemies. They are succeeding. They've got it all. They've got it made. They have everything that they need. And they haven't even gone about it the right way. When we struggle, it can be easy to look around at other people around us and start to compare ourselves, to start to be greedy and envious of how other people have it going well. That's the place that David is in. This leads to him to have some questions for God. Verse 11, Psalm 73, verse 11. And they say, meaning his enemies, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? David is doing two things here. The first one is he is repeating what his enemies have mocked him with. His enemies have mocked him by saying, look at the situation that David is in. Look at his circumstances. God may have been faithful in the past, but they are mocking him by saying, does God even know that you're in trouble? Does God even know that your feet are slipping? Is there knowledge in this most high God that you claim. So the first thing David is doing is he is repeating what these people are mocking him with. But the second thing I think that he is doing is he is starting to ask this very same question for himself. Does God see? Does God even know? Does he see and know but not care? Does he see, know, and care, but he's powerless to do anything about it? These are the questions that David was asking. And these are the questions that we ask too. We ask them in our personal life when we are suffering, when things are not going well. We ask this when we see the whole world suffering and there seems to be no end in it. We say, God, do you see? Do you know? Do you care? Are you powerless to do anything about this? That's where David is, and that's when we are, when we or our society suffers. But a curious thing happens later in this very same song that David is writing. Look with me at verses 25 and 26. David writes, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. David has literally changed his tune. David, in the course of this song, has changed how he feels about God. When he was once faithless, he now has faith. How can this be? 
How does he get to a place of questioning if the Most High God sees, knows, cares, is powerless? How does he get from that place to where he is now? Friends, more importantly, how can we know? How can we know when we go through suffering that God sees, hears, knows, and can do something about it? Well, we need to look to Jesus and what he has said and done for us. We are going to take a look at a true story in the life of Jesus, a narrative true story of what Jesus did as he interacted with those who were suffering. Open with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, as we take a quick summary stroll through this narrative of what Jesus did when he interacted with those who are suffering. We'll start at the very beginning of the story in John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. The first thing that I would like us to note is that Jesus had friends. Jesus had friends. This Jesus who is a real person, no one disputes this at this point. Everyone believes that Jesus was a real person. And not only that, but people uh, revere Jesus. No matter what religion they belong to or whether they have a religion or not, Jesus is someone who is revered because of what we know about him through history. But what's interesting here is that Jesus, this real person, the Bible is telling us that he had friends. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, this family was close to Jesus. He had friends that he cared about their physical well-being. And it says Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. Jesus, the Bible teaches that Jesus was fully man, but also that he was God, which we'll talk about in a moment. This amazing person who was fully man yet fully God had friends. And it's easy to think that when we read these Bible stories that they're just people in the past and they kind of become someone of, of lore, of make-believe. But these were real people just like you and me. That means that if Jesus walked the earth today, you and I had just as good a chance of being friends with Jesus as these folks. Amazing that Jesus called humans like you and me friends. Look with me, we'll skip down in the story to verses 14 and 15. Jesus speaking to his disciples, verse 14, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us now go to him. Now, wait a minute. Jesus started by saying, don't worry about Lazarus. This is not an illness that leads to death. And then we skip ahead and he tells his disciples, actually, actually Lazarus has died. 
what is happening here? What's going on? And then he gives us a hint of what's going to happen, of what he's going to do by saying, it's for your sake that I'm glad I wasn't there to save him because I want you to believe and I want the Father to be glorified. Let's continue on in the story to see what's going to take place. Look with me in verse 21. Martha, Lazarus's sister, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She basically tells Jesus, Jesus, you're too late. And I believe you could have saved him. I believed you could have done something, but you weren't here. And she's not alone. Look with me at verse 32. Mary, her sister, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Does this refrain sound familiar? Back to Psalm 73, verse 11. How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Mary and Martha here are saying, Jesus, we believe that you have the power to heal and save our brother, but you weren't here. Do you see? Do you know? Do you care? That's what they're asking. Jesus, if you would have been here, their faith is shaken. They're on slippery ground. Their feet are slipping. The Jesus whom they've known so well, they're questioning, does he really care? Look with me at John eleven, twenty-five. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Here, Martha says, Jesus, I believe, but as I look at this situation, it's not adding up with what you're saying. And when you say you're the resurrection and the life, but you let my brother die, I just don't get it. Have you been there? Where you look at your circumstances in your own life or in the life of someone you love or in our world and you say, God, I think I believe in you, but this doesn't add up. Or God, you want me to believe that you exist, but it sure doesn't look like you exist right now. Martha was there. Mary was there. I've been there. When have you been there? So then if we skip ahead in the story, Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus. Look with me at verse 34, John 11. Verse 34, and he, meaning Jesus, And Jesus said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus, who says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me will have life. This Jesus who tells them, I'm about to glorify God by doing something amazing. Before Jesus does what he's about to do, he stands outside the tomb of Lazarus and he weeps. Two reasons. One, he's sad. His friend has suffered and died. 
And his friends, Mary and Martha, are suffering right now. And that's the second reason he weeps, to empathize with those who are weeping. Isn't that often the most comforting thing that someone can do for you? When we are in our deepest suffering, we don't need platitudes and good advice and cheer up buttercup. No. Sometimes the most encouraging thing that we can have is someone that mourns when we mourn and Jesus wept. He empathized with those who are suffering. Let's see what happens after he mourns with them. Verse 37 of John chapter 11. But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man? Could he have not also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. For it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life, and then Jesus brings back the dead. And how did he do it? He didn't have to do some fancy dance and incantations and say just the right thing and know the magic code. He spoke the words, Lazarus, come out. Because here's the thing, the Bible tells us that everything in the world was made by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. And in his word, he has the power of life and death. And he says he is the resurrection and the life. So to bring back the dead, he only needs to say the word. Here we see the power of God. We see what Jesus means when he says he is the resurrection and the life. And here we see that God knows, sees, cares, and can do something about our suffering. So what do we learn from this story? How can we bring personal application and more importantly, personal help from what Jesus has done? First, because of this story, we can know that God sees, hears, knows, and cares. Remember, he wept at the tomb. Before he rose the dead, he empathized with those that are suffering, and he empathizes when we suffer. It's great to have someone empathize with you when you're suffering, but to have Jesus empathize with you? To have God empathize with your suffering? Sometimes that is the most comforting thought. Sometimes it's the only comforting thought that we can turn to is that Jesus sees, hears, and knows that we are suffering and he weeps with us. Not only in this story, but if we look at the final hours of Jesus' life, before he is 
put on a cross, before he dies, a rebel's death, a sinner's death, though he always did the right thing, always did the will of the Father, always loved his fellow man, always did the commandments of God, he died a sinner's death. And in those last moments before he died, we see three instances of him reaching out his hands of care and empathy to heal and to pray and to care for those around him. In the garden, when he is arrested, one of his disciples, Peter, cuts off the ear of one of the guards who is arresting Jesus, and Jesus reaches and restores the man's ear. As he is being arrested, we see then Jesus dying a bloody, terrible, torturous death on the cross, and as he does, he prays, Father, forgive these people. Forgive these people that are actively killing me who are here to assure that I am dead. He prays for them. And then there is a thief and a rebel on a cross right next to him. And at the beginning of the story, this thief is mocking Jesus, saying, can't he even save himself? And then one of the man's last dying breaths, he uses to say, Jesus, will you save me? And Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise. He extends grace and mercy to this man that doesn't understand the deep things of theology. Jesus just extends him his grace in his final moments. These true stories of what Jesus has done tell us once and for all that God sees, hears, knows, and he cares. Friends, I have learned a lot of theology. I teach theology. I help people with theology. I study the Hebrew and Greek to understand the original languages in which it is written. I have read countless books on suffering. I have helped countless people as they suffer. But when I am suffering, None of that helps me. The only thing that helps me is this concept right here. Jesus sees, he knows, and he cares. That brings comfort in our moment of suffering. But friends, can we also say it's not quite enough? Because if Jesus sees and knows and cares, but he is powerless to do anything about it, he can't really give us hope, and he's not actually God. He's just a good friend, the best friend. How can we know that Jesus can do something about our suffering? Well, it's the second thing that we can learn from what we're talking about here tonight, and that's we can have a personal relationship with Jesus. We can have a personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus is famous, right? Would we all agree? Jesus is pretty famous. Heard of him, you know? Uh, Jesus is famous. Everybody knows Jesus. Every religion thinks highly of Jesus. People that have no religion think highly of Jesus. Everybody wants Jesus on their team, right? Everybody wants Jesus to be their homeboy, right? Jesus, they want Jesus to be on their political side, their religious side. Everybody wants Jesus on their team because he is famous. But that's not enough. I've met some famous people. 
I've met some famous people just like you have living in the Kansas City metro area. I met some Hall of Fame football and baseball players at a brief encounter with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar once. Some of you may know who he is, basketball player. I've had some brief encounters with people that are famous. And sometimes I would get an autograph or a handshake or a picture. But you know what? It was a fleeting moment. And now it's just a a decent story to tell or a way to relate to someone who even knows who Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is. But in those brief moments, it didn't make a lasting impact on my life. I don't have a personal relationship with any of those people. If you go to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and ask him, did you meet Jason Blackley 30 years ago? He would laugh at you. What are you talking about? Jesus is not just famous or a historical figure. Jesus offers us a personal relationship with him and thereby a personal relationship with God. Because Jesus didn't just come to perform some miracles and Jesus didn't just come to teach some things that are true and Jesus didn't just come to be a good example for religious people of how they should live their lives. Jesus came to die for you and for me. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. We sang it in our first song. Pastor Jeff read it from the stage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The gift of God is sending his son Jesus to die in our place. He died the death that we deserve. He died to take care of our biggest problem with suffering, and that's sin. We suffer because of the sin of others, because of our own sin, because we live in a fallen world. Our biggest issue with suffering is with sin, and Jesus came to take care of it. Jesus came to die in our place. Jesus came to die a rebel's death even though he was perfect, and that's good news for a rebel like me. And that's good news for a rebel like you who go our own way, do our own thing, and rebel against God all the time. We know the things we ought to do, but we go the opposite direction. We have our own standards for our life. People we love have standards for us, and we just can't quite measure up. We can't do enough goodwill in the world. We can't do enough religious or irreligious things to be a good person. So Jesus gives us this gift of eternal life. Because here's the third thing. We learn tonight that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He says before he raises Lazarus from the grave, I am the resurrection and the life. When he says that I am the resurrection and the life, he means three kinds of resurrection. This is how powerful Jesus is. He calls his shot and he has a threefold meaning for what he means. I am the resurrection and the life. The first thing that he means is that he is calling his shot that he is going to raise Lazarus from the grave. And it's not a doubt in his mind. Jesus doesn't hope he can raise Lazarus from the grave. Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the grave. That's why he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He doesn't say, I have the power to bring him back. He says, I am resurrection itself. And all I have to do is say, Lazarus, come out, and it will be like he had fallen asleep. 
So when Jesus says he is the resurrection life, he knows that he can raise Lazarus from the grave. The second thing that he means by being the resurrection and the life is that Jesus knew that his mission was to come and die for you and for me and to be that gift that John 3.16 speaks about. See, Jesus has the power not only to raise others from the dead, but raise from the grave himself. And the fact that Jesus rose from the grave shows that he was fully man, but he was also fully God. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he told everybody that would listen, I'm going to be put in a tomb, but three days later, I'm going to rise from the grave. And when the, the disciples and the women that got to the tomb first, the angelic beings that were there said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for Jesus's body in this tomb? He has risen just as he said he would. Who calls their own shot like that? Jesus, the resurrection and the life. But there's a third. There's a third resurrection that Jesus has the power to bring. And that's the resurrection of everybody. See, at the end of all things, Jesus will be the resurrection and the life because he will bring all back from the grave and all will give account before God. And the only way that we can be made right with God is knowing Jesus died for me. I've been given a great gift by what Jesus has done for me. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, death doesn't even have the last word. Even if we suffer to the point of death, Jesus is still the resurrection and the life. And there is hope in this life, but also in the life to come. Because the gift he has given us is what? What does John 3.16 tell us? It's the gift of eternal life. That's what he has given us. He has given us a personal relationship with him that will outlast our physical lives. So Jesus says he is the resurrection and the life. And then he shows that he is the resurrection and the life. And he will continue to show that he is the resurrection and the life. David looked forward to this life. That's why if we go back to Psalm 73, we see David say, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If you skip to the end of the passage in verse 28, we read, For me it is good to be near my God, for I have made the Lord God my refuge, and I may tell of your works. David is looking forward to this resurrection, looking forward to this gift that God would give. He's living on a promise. But we are looking back and seeing what Jesus has already done for us, and we are looking ahead to when he will bring about the ultimate resurrection and life. The fact of what Jesus has done for us requires a response. When I met those celebrities, when I got those autographs, when I got those pictures, I walked away and had a story to tell for a minute. But honestly, I had to think back through as I was thinking through this example, what celebrities have I met? And I couldn't even remember all the ones that I have met. 
when we go through times of suffering, we don't just need facts about some dead guy. We don't need a chance encounter with the celebrity that is Jesus. We need a personal relationship with someone that says, I'm the resurrection and life, and then he proves it. That's what we need. And this fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, it requires a response from us. I would encourage you to respond in one of these three ways here tonight. The first one is believe. Believe. Turn from your own efforts of trying to be a good person, or if you're a religious person trying to please God, turn from that and turn and receive this free gift of what Jesus has done for us. Believe that this story is true. Believe that this offer that seems too good to be true of life and help in our time of need is real and true, and you can receive it today. You can respond by placing your trust in Jesus. You can do that just right here, right now, receiving that gift You don't have to understand at this point all the other ins and outs of how it all works, just like that thief on the cross that just said, Jesus, save me, and Jesus, save them. That's all you have to do is say, Jesus, I need to be saved from myself. I need to be saved through this time of suffering that I'm going through. You can respond right here, right now by receiving the gift. If you want to do that tonight, or if you have questions about that tonight, you can go back to that black box at the back. You can fill out a card. There's two cards there. One says, I believe. You can fill that out, drop it in the box. We would love to meet with you and help you uh, answer any questions that you have about what it means to believe in Jesus. The second thing that you can do is follow this Jesus. Maybe you know this Jesus. Maybe you've trusted this Jesus, received this gift from Jesus. But I would ask you to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. A great way that you can do that is by following Jesus through baptism. I'm going to have a slide in just a moment that walks you through the details of how you can do that. We are going to have a baptism after the service in two weeks. For anyone that wants to get baptized, what baptism is, is it's an outward sign of the inward reality of what Christ has already done for you. You go under the water to symbolize uh, identifying with his death, him going down into the tomb, and then we pull you up much quicker than three days. Don't worry. But you come up out of the water to show that you identify with him in his resurrection, That he is your savior who died for you, but he is the resurrection and life for you too. So if you have not done that, we would ask you to consider following him in baptism. Follow him with your life. If you've already been baptized tonight, respond by saying, Jesus, I want to follow you in these ways that I'm not right now. I'm going to follow you with my time. I'm going to follow you with the resources I have. I'm going to follow you in whatever you've called me to do. The third way that we can respond to this is you can tell of his good works. That's how David ends this psalm. You've been my refuge, and now I can tell of your good works. We can be like those disciples and those women who found the tomb empty and then ran back to Galilee to tell whoever would listen. 
we have good news that the tomb is empty. empty. And we say on Easter, he is risen, and the congregation responds, he is risen indeed. But it's a fact every day of our lives that he is risen indeed. And in some ways on Easter, it's easy to get excited about it. You dress a little nicer on Easter, you know, everybody's excited. Everybody dresses up. The kids do the Easter egg thing. You eat a special meal. You see people maybe you haven't seen in a while. And it's easy to get excited about this, but it's good news every day. No matter what we are going through, no matter what we are going through personally, no matter what our world, our church, our community is going through, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And his tomb is empty. And it's still amazing news. So we should be telling everybody. And our whole lives should reflect that the tomb is empty. I want to encourage you to respond by proclaiming that his tomb is empty, proclaiming that you have some good news, proclaiming to those that are hurting, God sees, knows, cares, and he wants to do something about your pain right here, right now, because he's the resurrection and the life, and he's given us a great gift of life. Consider how you will respond to Jesus today. I want you to take a look at a slide that walks through the next couple of weeks of what we're going to be doing here at Grace Downtown. If you are interested in following Jesus in baptism, we want to encourage you to come a little early next week to the service, 4 p.m. You can come in the doors off the parking lot. We'll go down to a, a large office space where we'll have our baptism class. If you have been meaning to get baptized for a while and just haven't done it, or even if you are receiving this free gift of life right now and want to hear more about it and go forward in baptism, you can come to this class. And then as you see, May 1st, after the service, we will have baptisms right out on the front porch. We have a baptismal that is mobile. We can set it up out there and we would love to baptize you and celebrate with you as you start your journey of following Jesus. Also next week, right after the service, we will have a meal after the service. So that's a great chance to meet people, to connect with people, to learn more about the church, just to get to know some folks. So you can join us after the service for a meal next week as well. It's a great way to connect. We do that once a month. It's a great way to meet people and stick around a little bit longer. Would you stand with me? Just as the disciples and the women who found the tomb of empty, the tomb of Jesus empty, just as they rose to their feet and ran back to tell everyone, we are going to end our service on our feet, ready to go proclaim the good news of what Jesus has done. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this message of good news. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. Thank you that you've offered us a great gift. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the resurrection and the life. Jesus, I pray that each one here would hear loud and clear from you, not from me, but Father, from you, that you see, you hear, you know, and you can do something about our deepest pain and suffering. Father, the greatest honor that we can give you is to live gladly, because of the knowledge of your love. May we leave this place in the peace and power and presence of the Spirit. May our lips proclaim that you have rose from the grave just as you said you would. May our hope reflect the reality of that empty tomb. 
May we weep with those who weep while we point them towards the resurrection that is to come. And may the same power that rose Jesus from the grave now guide you and comfort you as you go from this place. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Go in grace and we'll see you soon.